Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Jane's Talks. Really great to be with you again today and I'm really excited today because we've got Alexander Shire back with us. Welcome back Alexander, really great to have you back. Delighted to be back, thank you James. Yeah, um, the last episode that Alexander did um, was one of the most listened to um, that we've had. I think it was the highest rated on iTunes as well. Um, so, um, you know, and we were always going to have Alexander back. Um, so much wisdom, so much insight, so much, yeah, just, um, and we're going to have him back. This is part of a um, three-part series we're doing with Alexander. So we're going to have three more podcasts, including this one, uh, with Alexander, and probably more after that, let's be honest. Um, and... Last time Alexander was here, we covered um, the four stages of Quadratos, the four Gospels, the four stages of um, personal development, personal discovery, um, and we covered those very briefly in an hour. Uh, so I thought it might be a good idea if we uh, did a few more podcasts and spent more time talking about those. In um, So today... We're going to be talking about Matthew and Mark, the first two stages. Then tomorrow, the next week, we're going to talk about um, John, because John comes before uh, Luke in this in this order. And then we're going to be talking about Luke. So we're going to have um, two stages within this episode today, and the next two episodes we'll have one per episode. So we're really going to get stuck into these, and I'm really excited. Um, to hear what Alexander's got to say. So, uh, yeah, welcome, Alexander. So, um, just how have you been, before we really get into it, how have you been doing? I'm good. I, we're talking today from uh, the, from Victoria, Australia, and it is very cold. And I'm delighted to be talking to someone where I assume it may be a bit warmer. Uh, yeah, it is a bit warmer. Yeah. It's been weird weather in the UK. We've had It's been really warm and sunny, and then... In the same day, it's been like thunderstorms and really heavy showers on and off. So it's been like we've had like like on and off days for quite a while. Um, so we're not sure whether to take our sunglasses or take a raincoat, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But when it's warm, it's very warm. So And it was quite warm today, although there was rain. But, um, yeah. Che- cheers, mates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've got a bit of a tan. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about... Um, uh, let's talk about this um, first what? stage. Yeah, let's just, just briefly just sum up the four stages in like a sentence or two sentences each, and then we'll go well, into the first and one. I'm aware that, that our, our first podcast was, I think, early May... Yeah. Uh, people want to go back and, and hear a longer explanation. But just uh, in brief, as an entrance into what we're going to do over these next series, that I'm describing all four gospel texts as a continuous journey. Um, in the Joseph Campbell language, it's the hero or the heroine's journey. Um, in our Christian language, this is the spiritual journey that we make with Jesus the Christ. And so it is not a historical journey, it's a present moment journey. Mm. And we see this journey in four seasons or four stages that are ever in an ongoing cycle. And we'll find that our lives are in each part of the journey at the same moment. So it gets a little complex, but to look at the journey, it's best to look at it as a linear story. And then as we discover the linear story, we can go deeper and discover how perhaps one aspect of my life is in, in, um, in a difficult moment, one aspect of my life is in a moment of great oneness, etc. Mm-hmm. So the four parts of the, of the journey are um, hearing the summons, or what we might say beginning again, or in Christian language, perhaps even metanoia. The second part of the journey is a time of great trial and testing. The third part of the journey is when we become aware of a gift or become aware of a gift that we've had for a long time but we're not aware of. And the fourth part of the journey is when we return to greater responsibility, we return to community 
uh, knowing that we have to give the gift that we've been given. So mm-hmm. this is the classic um, hero, heroine's journey. This is the classic journey that, that our Hebrew Jewish ancestors know, and they call it the coming out of Egypt. The first step is I'm a slave in Egypt. The second step is I realize I'm a slave and I agree to go out into the wilderness with Moses. The third step is coming into the promised land. The fourth step is making the promised land my everyday reality. So this, this wheel of four is found in all the great uh, religious traditions. It, it undergirds the four noble truths of Buddhism, etc. And the realization that came to me is that this wheel of four is what binds the four gospel texts together as the story that, of the journey that each one of us make. So with that introduction, maybe we can just turn to the opening of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go for it. So um, this is this is the book of Matthew, isn't it? We're talking about now. This is the, the book of Matthew is, and in this lens on the gospel, I'm going to talk about Matthew is the first chapter, Mark is the second chapter, John is the third, and Luke acts as the fourth. But yes, Matthew is the first chapter, the chapter that we might call waking up, waking up again, or beginning a new journey with the Spirit. Right. Awesome. Love that. <laughs> okay. So, really, I just want to let you talk about this, really, because you've got loads of insight about this, and you you know loads about it. And um, so, just just go ahead and just talk about this and unpack it for us, and and also what it means for us as individuals as well on our own kind of journeys. So what, what I like to do is, is I want to just do a touchstone of history so that the text opens up not about history but about us today. Mm. And uh, the, the text of Matthew is, in, in, in Matthew's language, it's about the moment that a temple comes down. And I would like all of us to stop for a moment and think about when in our life did something that we thought might never end suddenly go away? When, perhaps, did we lose uh, a job? When did uh, a relationship um, have a downturn or perhaps even an ending? When did we suddenly become ill or have an accident? Um, When did uh, our Christian community, if we're Christian, when did we come upon a moment where uh, our, our deep, relationship with the community was hurt or was called into question. When, in small ways and dramatic ways, has a temple suddenly come down and we find our life covered in ash? This is the text of Matthew. Now, historically, how we can see this text is we believe the text is written to the community in Antioch Antioch is about a week's walk north of Jerusalem in what today is Turkey. And Antioch, in the 70s of the first century, is the place of the largest Jewish population now that Jerusalem is in ashes, Mm -hmm. the temple has been annihilated, and the Jewish priesthood has been ended in bloodshed and massacre. So the Jewish population in Antioch is totally shaken. Uh, Something that they could never have imagined has happened. Mm. Uh, One of the very interesting things about the text of Matthew is that it brings forward to us the image of earthquakes. The other texts don't give us the image of earthquakes, but Matthew does. And one one of the ways that I line the text up is... Antioch was a city that was racked by earthquakes. And Antioch was a beautiful city on the mouth of the Orontes River as it empties into the Mediterranean Sea. But much like San Francisco today, Antioch is racked by earthquakes every so often and has to rebuild. So now Matthew is going to talk about an inner earthquake to a people who already know about the outer physical earthquakes. And this is what it's like for us when a temple in our lives come down. Uh, On a blue sky day, suddenly the earth trembles. 
and everything is shook, and nothing sort of makes sense or works in the way that we've come to know it. In this moment, for the Christian Jewish people of the 70s of the first century, they are asking the question that the larger Jewish community is also asking. Is this the end? Are we living in the end days? Is this the apocalypse? Has Jesus come and lived amongst us and died and rose only to go away from us now? Has God abandoned us? Why has such a horrible event fallen upon us? And I, and I think that most of us at some point in our lives can identify with that with those feelings and those thoughts, yeah. perhaps yeah. not quite so dramatically. Uh, um, the, uh, the, this, this moment in Antioch is a historical moment that opens up an eternal moment. We, we all know such moments where a blue sky day turns to ash suddenly. So we, when we turn to the text, we look at how the text is a teaching about this internal moment that we all know as we start the journey again. And one of the most beautiful things about this, about the way this text opens, is that it's going to give us a name of God, which only the text of Matthew gives us, because it's precisely the teaching that we need at this moment. Right. And and this is the name that the angel speaks to Joseph. When the angel says to Joseph, you are to name your son Emmanuel, for he will save the people. And the name means God is with you. And this is precisely what's so important for us to remember as we start this journey and as we turn to the gospel texts, these yeah. are not historical accounts alone. That it happened in history is wonderful. But yeah. the question is, will, will this text ring true as a present moment text in your life right now? And the mm. very first thing in a moment of massacre, in the moment of horrible uh, events in the world or horrible events in my life, is that each one of us needs to listen inside again and again and again for the voice and the presence that says, I am with you. That there's nothing about this outer event that has removed the great I am from our life. We are deeply, deeply accompanied in the moment of terror, small or large. Mm, that's, that's so true. I mean, I was talking to people... Some people last night, and we were talking about um, about prayer, actually, and um, and how sometimes that you know that God might be might be silent, but He's always present. Yes. And sometimes we think that He's not present, and actually He's just silent, but He's always present, even in the midst of the darkest storm. You know, when you know, because I said when you're in the middle of a storm. You can't see anything around you. You can only see the storm. Right. right. Um, but it doesn't mean that nobody's there. And um, so, yeah, so I'm, yeah, I completely Dan agree Schutte. with that. Dan Schutte, um has got a beautiful um, hymn song called Holy Darkness. And uh, I might suggest that if anybody wishes to go on iTunes and find that and play that as we do the first two movements um, that the, the chapter we call Matthew and the chapter that we call Mark. Because one of the things that we in the West are not accustomed to is to think about the God of darkness, the God who comes to us, bringing us a moment of uncertainty so that our journey will go deeper. Yeah. Yeah. That's what somebody said, somebody said to me yesterday that sometimes growth can be spelt um, P-A-I-N. And, you know, growth often involves pain. And growth often involve, involves pain, but I always want to pull back and say, none of us needs to go looking for pain or adding pain to our lives. Oh, no. We have, we have enough. Yeah, oh, we absolutely. Have enough yeah. 
I, I was not advocating that at all. <laughs> um, no sadism or masochism here. No, I mean, I just I think what he meant was that some of his biggest growth experiences have been in his moments of most most pain. Um, and I think, I mean, I mean, in my experience, I've certainly probably grown more during the times when I've been suffering than the times where things have been good. And it's sad that the world, that things are like that. It probably shouldn't be like that. Um, and, of course, we shouldn't seek out suffering. Of course we shouldn't. Um, <laughs> um, but I think there is an element to, you know, that often people do grow more through suffering than than with the, when everything's happy and good. They do. And one of my, one of my favorite teachers, um, a Buddhist teacher, Jack Cornfield, uh, says, when we start the spiritual journey, our troubles seem to increase, seem to increase, because we no longer deny or hide from them. So I like to remind myself that, that often on the first and the second paths, um, the troubles are only a seeming to increase because now I'm facing into them rather than deflecting them. Yeah. That's so That's true. true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been going through a bit of a um, tough time personally. I've been kind of been feeling like God's been taking me back to stuff from 20 years ago, a lot of pain and betrayal and hurt and stuff that I had really buried and ignored and allowed to dictate to me. And God has, has taken me back there because I had to confront it. And and actually, James, that's a beautiful. There's a beautiful teaching about that uh, in this opening of the first chapter that we call Matthew, when when God directs Joseph to take Mary and the child and go to Egypt. Now, some people know I'm I'm first generation Lebanese immigrant to the United States. Um, I grew up in the old Lebanese village that just happened to be in an industrial city in the United States. Hmm. And I can hear my Arabic sitto, my Arabic grandmother, say to this story, Shua. Now, I'm trying to think of a, of a, of a polite way to say Shua in English, but uh, let's just say you're crazy. Who would tell a Jewish family to go have a picnic at Auschwitz? Uh, you're going to take the mother and the child to Egypt for safety. But let's try not to understand this as history alone, but let's try to understand this as part of the internal journey and what you've just spoken about, James, that when we start the journey deeper, we need to go back and visit the places of pain within us. Mm. Now, we don't need to go visit them and and, uh, build a house and live there. But it's very important that we know that this journey of transformation is going to be about learning how to walk with and explore the pain as a way of releasing it. That this journey is not about running away from or avoiding the pain. If it is, it's not going to end in our growth. So this incredible story that seems like you know, it's all part of some of the, the, the nativity accounts of, you know, this sweet baby and Mary mm. going to Egypt for safety has got a real uh, punch to it uh, and, and a teaching about as we start the journey of growth and deeper love, that one of the first places we're going to visit is the place of our old pain where we're still locked in some slavery or paralysis or fear. Yeah. Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? When you, because <laughs> you know, when I read it, when I, when I, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've read, you know, that past, read those passages loads of times, and never seen them like that. But when you start to examine it and start to, you know, look at it from this perspective, it's a, just a whole different, a whole different thing. It's just, yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, it, it opens up as, as a present moment story that's going on inside each of us right now. Yeah. And, and, what's, and for us as Christians, this is the Christ taking us on the great human journey of transformation and growth in love uh, through and by the power of the resurrection. 
And I want to keep emphasizing this, that we now know that these texts that we call the gospel were written to already believing Christians, already baptized Christians, if you will, Christians who already knew the power of resurrection. And it's, and it's the power of resurrection which allows us to enter these texts and to know that the texts are leading us to greater resurrection, that the texts are leading us to greater vitality, that this is not about some historical pageant of walking along with Jesus uh, 2,000 years ago, but, it, but it's about the present moment Christ living in us now, leading us to greater vitality, creativity, expression, new thought, today's wisdom, etc. Yeah. Wow. So how does that continue to unpack itself, you know, as you go through Matthew? How does this journey begin to unfold? Um, One of the other things I want to add about the nativity story in Matthew is that we know that, first of all, Jesus is born in Matthew in Mary and Joseph's home in Bethlehem. Yeah. This is one of those really important details because where does the new journey for us start? New journey for us doesn't start out on the road uh, to a a village knocking on doors. The new journey starts to us when we're right in the middle of our habitual, ordinary, everyday life and some untoward event happens. Yes. Uh, I love love the, the, the Jewish rabbi in San Francisco who wrote this beautiful book called uh, this is really happening, and I'm totally unprepared. Um, this is this is the birth of Jesus in the text of Matthew, and who comes to their home in Bethlehem knocking on the door? The yeah. Magi. Yeah. So one of the other teachings about this great universal journey that we're on is not just that we have to go back to Egypt and visit the places of our pain, but un unexpected resources are going to knock on your door that you that you're going to be given what you need to make this journey (laughs) that's unbelievable and these two these two actually the three pieces first of all that the untoward happens to us when we're in the middle of ordinary life and secondly, it's going to call us to go back to the places of pain in us first, but that we go back to the places of pain accompanied with the resources of the Magi and the risen Christ. So this is not a solitary, alone journey, but it's a journey that we're accompanied. Mm. Yeah, and we're giving gifts to help us on that journey. Beautiful gifts, Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the question, yeah, I asked, um, how does this journey continue throughout Matthew? Like, you know, we've had a nativity, so, and then the story of Jesus goes on. It's, um, if we had time, if we had a couple of days, we could unpack verse by verse and chapter by chapter as we move through Matthew. Because what I am suggesting is, is that everything in the story is about waking up. And everything is a teaching about waking up. So let's, let's look at another one of the iconic passages that we find only in Matthew. Yeah. We're going to hear, um, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus say, You know what the law and the prophets have said to you, but now I say. Now, what does that mean to us in this moment of waking up? And I, I, I can wax eloquently here about government and church and tradition, because in the moment of waking up, we have to hold yesterday's good wisdom uh, a little to the side. I, I don't want to deny it. Uh, this journey is going to be about learning a deeper confirmation of it. But the confirmation is also going to dismantle it so that we can see it in a wider lens. And to get to the wider lens, we have to almost forget yesterday's wisdom for a moment. This is a very delicate task to sort of set it aside without making it bad or making or, or discarding it. I don't want to do either of those, and yet I know that to truly understand what this new journey is about, 
to truly understand what the Spirit is saying to me today, that tradition cannot be the first place I go to learn about what Spirit is saying to me today. And this is, so much of the Christian church right now is locked into tradition, 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 and tradition has become a wall to understanding what the Spirit is asking of us right now. We need to let the Spirit ask of us what it's, what it's asking right now and journey with that. And then, a little bit further down the way, we can come back and look at tradition with new eyes. Yeah. But if we start with tradition, we've worked against the Spirit. And I want to say this very clearly. If we start with tradition, we've worked against the Spirit because on the first path of journey with Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Christ is asking us for a moment to set aside in our thinking what the prophets and the law have said to us mm. and to dwell deeply in the presence of love expressed wider right now. So th this is, this is a, um, uh, it, it's a huge issue and it's, it's, I, I so much wish that the leaders of our communities would understand the journey that they are servants of because so many times they're asking of us dogmatic questions which are working against the workings of the Spirit today. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be the Spirit that leads, not tradition. I'm, I'm, I've, I've always been someone who's kind of like, well, you know, I kind of not against tradition at all, but who says that? You know, who believe? I believe. Don't believe tradition should get in the way of us exploring our faith, asking questions, and going deeper into the mystery, and allowing the spirit to move and do what he wants to do. And you know, and, and, and it's a very delicate act because um, I'm a person of tradition, and I love tradition. But I understand when I'm in a Matthew moment that God is asking of me, quote-unquote, beginner's mind, which is, let God teach me tradition in a new way. And don't, God is asking me not to, to cite chapter and verse. That's against, that's really against the spiritual practice of this moment. Because I'm not, I'm not speaking anything new. I'm speaking yesterday's faith and acting as if it's new today. It's not. Yeah, that is. That's true. Yeah, you've got to hold that balance, haven't you? Between saying tradition can be good, but let's put it in its right place. Yes. Yes. So you know what the law and the prophets have said, and now today I say to you, and. And again, what's so beautiful about looking at the four gospel texts in this way is that the wisdom of Jesus is not about every moment of the journey. The wisdom of Jesus in the text is about this first moment of the journey. And I can look at, I can look at the Buddhist tradition as helping me understand my Christian tradition deeper. The Buddhists have that beautiful phrase, beginner's mind. And this is exactly what Jesus the Christ is saying here in Matthew. The first part of the journey is about beginner's mind. And beginner's mind is a willingness to deeply pray again and rethink and refeel every past action and behavior. Hmm. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, move, we'll move forward a little bit more in yeah, Matthew's yeah. text. Uh, and there are, there are signature moments in each one of these four chapters, what? Matthew, Mark, John, Luke. Yeah. And one of the signature moments in Matthew is the beginning of the passion as Matthew gives it to us. And again, what I'm saying is Matthew has taken the historical markers in Jerusalem but given us, not to us, it's the story of Jerusalem. That would just be a historical story, no matter how beautiful it is. None of these texts is about history alone. It's about present moment action. And so Matthew is giving us the passion of what happens in us as we try to wake up. This is Matthew's passion. Uh, look at 
Jesus as, if you will, the avatar, the great teacher of what each one of us goes through as we try to wake up and start the journey again. And so here at the beginning of the Passion uh, in Gethsemane, as Matthew gives it to us, uh, the text tells us, the Jesus says, the betrayer is at hand. Now, Matthew has already t given us the name of Judas as the betrayer much earlier on. And, and please, Judas, Peter, everyone here is an inner reality in us. This is not about casting shame on anybody out there. This is about the Judas in us, the Peter in us, the disciples in us, etc. So the betrayer, the betrayer is at hand. And then the very next line, Jesus says something which is stunning in Matthew. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus, the betrayer comes to Jesus and intends to kiss him. And yeah. Jesus says, friend, friend, do what you have come to do. Now, this yeah. is the this is the penultimate moment uh, in waking up when each one of us can look at the pain. Look at the betrayal and say, friend, do what you have come to do. And this is not about agreeing with the pain. This is not about going into guilt or shame about the pain. This is nothing other than through the risen Christ, we too can look into that pain and know that I can live through it wow. and know that in God's design, that pain has a gift for my life. Uh, wow. I love, I love the, the, uh, the roomy poem uh, about the guest house, that every day there's a knock on the door, and Rumi says, go to the door laughing, even if it's a crowd of sorrows who has come to clear the furniture from your home. Now, this, this is beginner's mind. This is our willingness to let God work with us and work with the stuffness of our life in the way that God so wishes. And pulling our ego back enough so that we will truly let God's action happen. Uh, rather than my ego clamping down, well, I want you to keep this piece of furniture, please. I really, really like that one. Or I'm really, really attached to that one. Or, you know, this piece of furniture was given to me by my best and favorite professor in seminary, and this one has to stay. Uh, no, not in Matthew's text when we're waking up. Each one of us has got to open that door to God and say, clear me out. Whatever you want, clear me out. I'm here to live your message today, not 1,900 years ago, 1,700 years ago, 300 years ago, today. Thank you. Wow. That's crazy. That's just... <sighs> oh. no, that speaks, I mean, to be, just from a purely personal perspective, that speaks a lot into, where, into my own journey, and I'm pretty sure that people listening, and it will be... It'll be the same because we've all we've all been betrayed. We've all been let down or hurt or you know, um, and we'll be and you know we you know none of us are perfect. We've probably made mistakes and hurt other people as well. So we've played both those roles. So we we're within both within that story. We're in both of those roles in a sense. Some of us, uh, many of us, and. And, yeah, and Matthew phenomenal. wants us, Ma Matthew is giving us the beautiful teaching of Judas and Peter, who both betray, who mm. both deny, and they both betray. Yeah. And the issue of Judas and, and, and Peter is not to um, say one is good and one is bad. No, it, they are to teach us about how the Christ wants us to receive this moment. Judas despairs. This is the sadness with Judas. Judas, in the face of the pain, despairs and ends the journey. Peter mm. weeps and returns to the work. 
That's the teaching. That's all this teaching is about. Not about historical goodness or badness or shame or guilt or any of that. It is just simply a matter of in this moment of starting again and facing pain again and facing betrayals again. The Christ wants us to feel the pain of it and perhaps to weep and to continue on the journey. And Amen. by the power of the Christ, I can. There's nothing in my ego that wants to do this, but by the power of the Christ, I can. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because it, and there's that, and there's that dynamic, isn't there? Judas who kind of just gives up, and Peter who just keeps going, and right. And it's Matthew that gives us the story of Judas dying. Yeah, and again. You know, our, 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 our Holy Week pageants, which the church in her great glory in their early church would never, never, never have agreed to because it makes this a historical reality, um, says this is a present moment reality. And we want to listen to the pain of Judas and we want to listen to the pain of Peter and we want to ask for the grace to weep and move forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is humble. That's just wow. <laughs> Every time I hear all this stuff, it's just yeah, it just it's so so yeah, inspiring, challenging, encouraging. You know. Um, so let let's move forward to the final scene of Matthew. Yeah, yeah. Because because here we are on the unnamed mountain where the risen one is going to appear to us. Mm -hmm. And again, I want to suggest that the risen one has been walking with us through the whole text. So this is not about, this is not the historical story where the resurrection is the end of the text. This is the present moment story where the risen one is teaching us about resurrection as we wake up throughout the entire text. But, but the final piece of waking up is going to be agreeing to what the Christ asks on this unnamed mountain. Yeah. Uh, that it's an unnamed mountain is hugely important. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Semite. I'm Arabic. I'm Semitic. Uh, my grandfather is going to be on that mountaintop with the souvenir stand 20 minutes before everybody else arrives. Because in the Semitic life, you name important places, especially important mountains where spiritual transformation has happened Matthew doesn't give us the name of the mountain that's true yeah and this this is exactly the great truth of this text because waking up is about going forward from Jerusalem yeah. from Jerusalem we're not going back to Jerusalem we didn't leave, we didn't leave anything about the, back there and I, I want to suggest to you for all of us um Christianity's got a problem because it says Israel is the Holy Land. Well, what, you, what a bunch of pooey that is. Um, this text is not about a Holy Land anywhere. It's about a Holy Land everywhere. Every, every yeah. speck of, 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 of stardust is the Holy Land. Wow. And oh. this, text, this text is about going forward that, that God is never in our rearview mirror. Yeah. And and so the, the mountain must remain unnamed because the mountain is not any more important than where you are today. That's where the Holy Land is, where your feet stand today. And secondly, Jesus the Christ on this unnamed mountain at the end of the text about waking up is going to say to us, um, I'm sending you out everywhere. Well, Gee, thanks, Jesus. Now, I, I'm standing here with ashes. I'm devastated. I'm terrorized. My sense of safety is gone. I want protection. I want the GPS. I want the money in the bank account. I want friends. I want a lover. I want a, a, whatever it is I want, I want, I want, I want. And Jesus mm -hmm. says, I'm going to give you the only thing you need my presence. And 
we're going to hear the beautiful name at the end of this text that we also heard the angel speak to Joseph at the beginning of the text. I am with you. That's all you need at the moment of waking up and beginning a journey which is going to start through a land of great pain. I am with you. Mm. Now, are you ready to go? Will you put your hand in mine? So, this the wow. end of Matthew is not the Great Commission. It, that The Great Commission to go serve comes in the fourth chapter of Luke. This is the commission to go on a journey. Yeah. This is the commission to wake up and to face pain and to move with the Christ deeper in your life. This is the commission to go and discover creativity and vitality and love and forgiveness and reconciliation and justice. Do you want to go on that journey? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, sorry. Yes. And are you willing to go on it where you don't know how long it's going to be, you don't know what it's going to ask of you, you don't know where it's going to lead, but I'll give you the one thing you need to know. The great I am is with you. Brilliant. Wow, that's brilliant. That's a, that is... Oh, wow, it makes me want to go and read Matthew right now. Um, but um, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and now that leads us neatly into kind of you know because um, you know the second stage, um, Mark. Yes. Um, so. And really, what I what I describe it, Matthew often is a long moment in our life. Yeah. And Mark often is a long practice in our life. Um, although Mark is the shortest of all the four chapters of the gospel, and I'm so grateful that it is because none of us needs to wallow in pain. None of us needs an ounce more of pain than what's already in our lives. And so Mark is a very short, stark gospel. But it starts because... Because Jesus has sent us from the unnamed mountain to go out into the wilderness, to go out into the wilderness of our life. And we're going to need to live in that wilderness in the same way that we hear the first story of the text of Mark, of a person who thrives in the wilderness. And it's that the text of the story of a person that in, in this gospel we call John the Baptist. Yeah. Yeah. John the John the Baptist thrives in the wilderness. Yeah. John the Baptist, who is the son in the line of priests, has thrown off every sense of privilege, has faced into the pain and moved through it, and has come back to us with an ability to thrive in the wilderness and to proclaim a reality that he is a witness of wow. in, the face, in the face of his own terrible death. Yeah. Now, let, historically for a moment, let's remember that the text of Mark, we believe, is coming from the Christian Jewish community in the city of Rome following the great fire of Rome in 64 first century. And what we know about the fire is, is that the fire destroyed the city of Rome for a week. Nero is emperor. And the fire actually destroyed the parts of the great city that Nero had just been advocating be torn down and rebuilt in a style that would rival Athens. Well, the Roman Senate is somewhat skeptical about how this fire got started and the particular areas of the city that it burned, and suspicion is falling back on the emperor. And we know what an emperor must do when the Roman Senate begins to turn against him. He needs a scapegoat. He needs a compelling scapegoat, and he needs it right now. And so the emperor... Nero, is going to put his finger on a part of the Jewish community, the Christ believers. 
because someone has convinced him that this part of the Jewish community has this figure who is greater, who, who they are saying is greater than the emperor and has come to overthrow the Roman Empire. And they're starting the overthrow from the city of Rome. So the emperor now is going to send his soldiers into the Jewish ghetto, knocking on doors, and say, are you a believer in the Christus, the Christ? And if the head of the household says yes, everyone in that household will be arrested and taken to the Circus Maximus. Yeah. The Colosseum has not yet been built. Yeah. And they'll be executed at the Circus Maximus. If you say no, then you're going to have to name someone who is a Christ believer, whether the person you name is truly a believer or not is of no account. And that person will be arrested and their family too will be taken to the Circus Maximus and killed. Mm. So <clears throat> this text of Mark is a text about how we walk through the valley of the dark, how we walk through the dark valley, uh, the shadow of death. Yeah. But with a great change the text is not about just only walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but it's walking through the valley of the shadow of death by the power of the resurrection. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So again, this is not a text that has resurrection at the end. This is a text about resurrection every chapter, every verse. Yeah. And that the Christians are being invited to meditate on John the Baptist, who also was killed um, on the whim of a drunken Roman governor. And they, they will know that their lives are very much in the pattern of John the Baptist. And that mm -hmm. they too are going to be asked to give a proclamation of praise in the midst of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Mm. And that's the same, um, wow. this is the same spiritual practice that we're asked when we're on the second path of the spiritual journey with the Christ. That we're going to be asked, and I, I'll, I'll just, I'm going to move forward to the death scene in Mark. Wow. Okay. Because in the death scene in Mark, we have Jesus the Christ on the cross saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? L let's rewind that. How many sermons have we heard in church about this, about this God, Jesus, man, who is dying, feeling abandoned? Rewind, not true. What we forgot is Psalm 22 is the prayer that every devout Jew prayed for centuries to have on their lips as they died. Because Psalm 22 is a journey psalm. Right. And John, Psalm 22 starts with this very, very true expression when we're in yeah. terror and fear and pain and paralysis. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? But the psalm moves through that feeling to transformation. Yeah. And into that psalm is verses of praise. I give praise to you, a God who those not yet born will also praise for your justice, for your uprightness. Who else can I praise? For, for you are the ardor of lovers and that by the power of which everything greens. So this, this incredible moment in Mark is not about Jesus dying in agony. This is about a Christ who helps us move through our feelings of abandonment and pain and paralysis too to the point that we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death also singing a praise. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because, you know, I mean... I always there's there's so many ways you can read that that line you know when Jesus cries out my God my God why have you forsaken me because 
yeah, in that moment, Jesus seems like he's very, very alone, upset, you know, um, feeling abandoned, you know, it's, um, and yet we know it's the beginning of a psalm. And right. so, so is that cry a cry of despair, or is it Jesus trying to hold on to some kind of hope? No, it's just simply, in my mind, the evangelist did not need to put Psalm 22 in the text any more than if we heard a Christian died saying, Our Father who art in heaven. Every oh. original hearer of that text knows Psalm 22. They don't need... Jesus from the cross doesn't need to even say the second line. Everybody else could recite it with him. This is not a cry of abandonment. It's simply the cry of the first line of the psalm, which is a psalm of praise. So it's Jesus holding on to some kind of hope, even in that darkest moment, in a sense, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, well, I'm... It's, it's more than hope, James. It's like Jesus the Christ knows the fullness of the pain of humanity, right. but also knows the fullness of the transformation that each one of us is capable of by the power of the risen one. And so it's, it's a text which says, I can stand here in, fully in the, in the feeling of abandonment, but I know that this is not the end. I know it's only a moment. I know it's only an emotion. It's not the end, and it's not the deepest reality. Wow. That's profound. That is profound. It's like, yeah, he's like, almost like an acknowledgement that this is really bad, but I know this isn't the end. Right. This, this, is, this is walking through the valley of the shadow of death by the power of the resurrection. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. And so, and, and it's why it's why our scripture scholars have lost the plot when they look at the text through the story of Jesus before death and resurrection, because all of these texts are written in the light of the resurrection, and once it's in the light of the resurrection, the whole story takes on a different cast. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 lo- I love that old phrase about never put a period or a full stop where God has put a comma. And death is the comma. Resurrection is the full stop. Yeah. But so many Christians put the period or the full stop at the death scene. That's just that's the doorway to the coming transformation. Anyway. So I, I, I love it. I'll, I'll, one more one more piece of Mark, and and then we'll. I think we'll be full for today. Yeah. Um, and, and that is the, the, the original um, final scene of the text of Mark. Uh, there, were some, there were some stories added to the text about 100 years after the original text was composed. And those added stories are true stories, but they're not true to the text of Mark. And it's like somebody had to do the Disneyland ending. Um, the original text of Mark ends with this line. They go to the tomb. They see a young man. They don't even see an angel at the tomb. Uh, and the angel says to them, uh, Jesus has gone ahead of you to the, to the region of Galilee. There you will find him. And then comes the final line of the, of the original gospel. And the women fled from the tomb for fear and amazement had overcome them. Mm-hmm. And now the stunning last line, and they said nothing to anyone. This text has no appearance of the risen one. And this text has no one going forth from the tomb proclaiming resurrection. This text is like the most incredible spiritual director's 
examination of our conscience, asking us, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, to what are you going to give witness? Now, in the valley of the shadow of death, you're not going to have the sweet flowers and the hymns and the chocolates of resurrection that we're going to get on the third path that we see at the end of John. No, in in the second path, resurrection is not sweetness. Resurrection on the second path is, I can live through this moment one more minute. I can live through this moment five more minutes. I can live through this moment 20 more minutes by the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection in this moment is giving me the ability to endure and persevere. But the power of the resurrection on the second path is not giving me the uplifting feelings, Mm. is not giving me the sweetness and light. It's not giving me the deep, perhaps, tranquility. It's giving me the ability to put one foot in front of the next, and the next, and the next, and the next, yeah. and to stay on the journey. Yeah, because it ends with, with the woman going, doesn't it? Like yes. Going on a journey, in a sense. Like leaving the resurrection, or leaving the empty tomb, and going on to the next stage of the journey, in a sense. With no sighting, in the original text, there's no sighting of the risen Jesus. Yeah. There are no words spoken to the women of the risen Jesus. Yeah. And I, and I see this as the evangelist's compassion to the Christian Jewish community in Rome in the moment of their potential execution. Because... The evangelist is, in one way, saying to them, don't go die on the floor of the Circus Maximus because you heard Peter tell you a story. Yeah. Do you know the resurrection in your life? Then you know the answer you must give at the door. If you don't know the resurrection in your life, then you're not really professing the Christ. Yeah, because there's no act. You don't see the resurrection. It's something that it's something that the women, in a sense, have to trust in and have faith they, for. They have to find it as an inner reality, not an outer story. Yeah, which is what we have to do. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, wow! This is brilliant. This is so good. Um, and it again, it affirms that. What we now know is that none of these texts were written initially to be a proof of Jesus. The texts were written to be a doorway into the reality of Jesus. Yes. Yes. They were to lead us into the experience of Jesus that would confirm the story. Yeah. Almost like a reverse. It's like reverse. That's almost reverse of what you would think, isn't it? But it's... It's an internal journey which confirms the, the, what you, the story that you read, in a sense. Right. It's a present moment reality. And once you've had the present moment reality, then the story comes alive, confirming history. Yeah. Wow. But the, confirmation, the, the proof of the confirmation is not in history. Yeah, the proof of the... Yeah, that's right. It's in our own lives, isn't it? It's, our own, it's in our own story, our own journey. Fantastic. Well, we could probably talk all night about this, but um, um, all morning as it is for you. Um, but uh, yeah, we're we're um, we're going to continue in the next episode. We're going to be looking at uh, the next stage, which is John, and then we'll and the episode after that we'll be going on to look at the, what I call John is the third path, the moment of receiving uh, the new deeper gift. And then, and then the, the podcast after that, we'll look at Luke-Acts, the fourth path, um, the call to service of the wider human community as well as the service of our deeper self. Yeah, brilliant. Well, yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. Um, um, so 
Thanks, Alexander. I, Neville, a, la, a last piece as we as we leave uh, for today, James, and that is, um, I've yet to visit the UK. So all all your wonderful listeners out there, uh, I'm very open to an invite. Yeah, please, somebody invite him because um, um, I wish I could arrange some kind of event for you. Um, but um, yeah, please invite Alexander if you're in the UK. If you're anywhere, in fact, invite Alexander to your event or to create an event for him because, um, yeah, this is going to, this stuff is just life changing, mind blowing, and really transformational, and more people need to hear about it. So, um, yes. I'm, I'm leading, I'm leading a, a group of pilgrims again uh, this September, October in Spain on the Camino. Uh, so, I, I will be in, in Europe. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, well, you're always welcome to meet with me if you're ever in London as well. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, right. peace, friends. Yeah. And I, I look forward to speaking with you again. Yeah, we'll speak to you again. Um, and um, thanks, everyone, and we will talk very, very soon.